all First Nation languages, is their connectedness to country, not, not just fascinating, but also important for people to survive in this era of uncertainty and globalization, because it gives them something to hang on to. They said, what's the language like here? It's, it's, it's just got about 200 words, hasn't it? No grammar. I said, no, no, no. He said, what's it like? I said, well, it's a bit more complicated than Greek and Latin. Oh. For people not to say, ah, well, you know, why, why can't we all speak English? Well, if we all speak English, uh, it will be almost like sort of globalization. Why don't we all eat at, at McDonald's <laughs> along those lines? Words matter. And when it comes to First Nations languages, two CQ University linguists are hoping that work to preserve Indigenous culture through language could also unlock better health and well-being for North Queensland communities. My uncle, who's my elder also, describes it as, as language is our culture. In our world, uh, you can't be really jittable unless you understand that that language is incredibly linked to the way we are and who we are. Australian policy historically hasn't done Aboriginal people many favours. And the removal of, you know, many of my family members from, from North Queensland were taken away and all that sort of stuff. So there's been a disruption and that that impact has gone into younger generations where, um, where the disruption of knowledge, language and meaning um, um, is disrupted, not disappeared, but just disrupted. And so somehow I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, projects like this can actually reconnect all that together, you know. Um, and I think, uh, you know, a revitalization of language, revitalization of culture, revitalization of meaning uh, as well, because much of our language is in context with the environment. And so um, the, the meaning is actually in, is in the physical environment, not necessarily on a page. So, despite my, my study of my own language academically, it is out of context to what its meaning is. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned the word Jambon before, and that's the name of the community where, um, where my grandmother was originally from as well. And Jambon means wichity grub. And there's all sorts of different species of wichity grub. Uh, but in our country, they, 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 in our land just south of Tully, um, they, they, they are attracted to a particular species of tree, um, and so when I was really, really young, my uncle says, look, we're going to go hunting for, for Jumbon. Um, you're going to come. So, you know, as a young kid thinking, well, I don't want to eat a grub, you know, <laughs> you know, that sounds a bit, bit off, you know, but, um, but then my uncle said, no, come along, I'll show you what we mean. And so he, he, he said, this is how we chop the tree and this is how we break the tree up and, and this is where we can find the big jumbon. He says, and he held it, held many hand. He says, oh, we'll take them back. And I said, oh, look, I'm not going to eat those, you know. Uh, but he says, look, he, he cooked them, and I and he said, look, have a little bite, and you'll see what you see what you think. And I tell you what, change my see the context of saying, yeah, that's a that's a witchetty grub or a jumbon, to the context of, wow, that actually is absolutely delicious, and that makes sense to me, and I'll never forget that word. <laughs> If your retention is associated with a memory or an experience, it's much more powerful. So I think that's the kind of difference that we need to make sure that Jedibar languages, in terms of you know, my, my links, my families, my communities, I, I hope, and this is why one of the reasons why I came back to North Queensland, 
is to have some kind of influence or impact in the way we do research, particularly in the application of language, the, the, the redevelopment, the reestablishment of, of, of language uh, within our schools, our communities and all that sort of stuff. Because uh, it's intrinsically important that if we call ourselves a Jitterball person, that we understand that there's a language importance there. That's CQ University Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Indigenous Engagement, Professor Adrian Miller. He's a proud gerbil man from rainforest country of the Atherton Tablelands. And as you'll hear, Professor Miller also has a personal and kinship connection to this language project. Adjunct professors Alexandra Eichenwald and Robert Dixon are leading the research for CQ Uni's Centre for Indigenous Health Equity Research. They've shared the project and their passion for First Nations languages with CQ University's Isis Symes for this episode of Impact Research Podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, CQ University recognises this episode was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Gimwe-Wallaburi in Dingy and Yurringanji in Cairns, the Bindal and Wulgarukaba in Townsville, and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne. My name is Alexandra Eichenwald, or Sasha, some people call me, uh, and I'm a junk professor at the Center for Indigenous Health Equity Research at CQU. And uh, we started, uh, both of us, myself and Professor Dixon, who will introduce himself in a second, uh, earlier this year as adjunct professors and as maybe, if I may say so without being too ambitious, driving force behind a research hub called Language Communication and Health and the strategic direction and research strength called Language Communication and Cultural Wellbeing. I'm okay. Bob Dixon. I'm also an adjunct professor in the, in the Centre for Indigenous Health Ethics Research. Um, I actually came to Cairns 58 years ago, and I was recording the, the original uh, First Nations languages, but I published a, a lot of the material I got, and the younger people now are trying to learn the languages back, you know, what I published. I've also worked in the Amazon, in Brazil, in the Pacific, in Fiji, and I, I've done lots of work on linguistic theory and, and, and so on. It's interesting things is that Adrian Miller, the head of the centre, is actually the, uh, the, the grandson of my first great teacher in Aboriginal language. I was adopted into the kinship system, so he, he would call me Gaia, which is mother's younger brother, and, and I, I would call him Dama. Like a sort of coming full circle, because Adrian Miller, who is uh, an inspiration behind the centre and the leader of the centre, is there uh, incorporating the durable identity. He's a member of the very a sort of prominent member of the durable nation. And it's all in the family, you can say. Sasha, let's begin with you. Uh, you're known around the world for your research into a huge range of Indigenous languages, from Amazonian languages to the Papua New Guinean languages. What is it about Australian Indigenous languages that you find the most fascinating? Look, I would say that uh, every language has its absolute fascination. But what I find fascinating in general about uh, 
all First Nation languages is their connectedness to country and the way they reflect uh, the, uh, well, the culture that we tried to say, but also the way uh, ways in which people uh, see the world and how uh, the way they talk and the grammars actually reflect uh, the environment and uh, ways of ways of thinking, way uh, attitudes. Like for instance, we are now running within um, Saiha our major project. I would say that we have lots of projects, but um, a major project is. Uh, uh, the language of well-being. It's how in tropical societies people talk about, well, a disease or don't talk about it if it's a taboo uh, and talk about uh, the ways in which you sort of get a disease or disease gets you. So this is the interesting thing. Disease gets you because it's the disease who is agentive. This is what I find very interesting about and also about Australian languages and um, also this sort of trajectory of recovery. And uh, what I find, uh, well, in terms of what I uh, uh, am particularly interested in, if we get back to Dirbal, it is absolutely fascinating in so many ways. But one of the kind of, if I may say so, sexist features is the way in which uh, nouns or uh, uh, just expressions are classified. Well, Dirbal people, Bob will correct me. Uh, uh, used to be uh, uh, very much dependent on uh, the food you collect in the jungle. And so, like in English, you have he and she and it. In German, you have three genders. Okay, in Portuguese, you have two. Okay, fine. In Dirbal, you have four. And one is sort of like masculine mostly. The other one is feminine with uh, other meanings as well. Third one is just everything else. But the fourth one is the most fascinating because it is edible, non-protein food. It's incredibly important. I actually witnessed a speaker who is unfortunately now gone, um, just pointing at something in the forest. We were just having a walk. And he would say, he would just use this tiny little bit of a word and you know whether you can eat it or not or whether you, it will be dangerous for you, it won't. So that connectedness to the environment, also connectedness to the country, how even names are associated, not just with your clan, but with the place you live in, is uh, incredibly, not, not just fascinating, but also important for people to survive in this era of uh, uncertainty and globalization, because it gives them something to hang on to. And of course, in every First Nation languages, uh, language, there is something that you just think, my God, wow, I wish we had that. Well, we don't. You can't have everything in every language, but uh, you can give value to uh, something that you don't have that other people have. This one of the worst types of racism. I mean, is, I don't know what's good about racism, but <laughs> I suppose everything is bad. But what's worst is linguistic racism. And uh, I remember very well how uh, it was 1998 uh, uh, we, uh, at a meeting, you know, it's just informal kind of get together. She said hello to me because I was an Australian Research Council research fellow. She said, hello, you still working on these mumbo jumbo languages? Well, I didn't know what to say. I was kind of slightly new to Australia. Well, I am very happy to report that this is something that just would not pass now. Yes. When I first came out here from England in 1963, I was working on the local language and all the local farmers thought I was pretty useless and sitting in a book all day. But then what one Sunday, I went off to do some work on Sunday and this farmer said, oh, it must be quite serious, you know, if he's working on Sunday. And he said, what's the language like here? 
it's just got about 200 words, hasn't it? No grammar. I said, no, 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 it's got a very complicated grammar. He said, what's it like? I said, well, it's a bit more complicated than Greek and Latin. Oh, the important thing is the whole social system. I mean, there's a, what's called a classificatory kinship system. That's the sort of relationship you've got to uh, determines the sort of relationship you can have with someone. So me and my mother's younger brother were, were very close relationship, joking and like that. There are some relationships which are taboo. There's an avoidance between them. Mother-in-law, son-in-law, father-in-law, daughter-in-law. And the interesting thing is there's a special language, a special, special speech style. If you're talking within hearing of this, I couldn't look at look at my mother-in-law, but if I was sitting in the presence of her, I would talk to her through 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 my my wife. I would have to use a completely different vocabulary. So, for instance, water in the normal style is banner, in, in its mother-in-law style called jangoi, it's jujamo. Fire is bunny. In the presence of an in-law, you have to say yibai. Fantastic and tremendously interesting thing. So, you mentioned earlier about the fact that you know one of the people that you were working with many years ago are no longer around um, and that the, the younger generation is interested and keen in ensuring that the language, you know, is preserved. From your yeah. perspective, how important is it and why so? Well, it, it's very important. I mean, a language is a complete register of the other character of the people. It has all the traditions, the laws, the, the, the worldview, the whole vision of everything. And if it's gone, a complete chunk of, uh, of human life is gone. So it's very important to, to keep as much of it as possible. Really, if, if a language stops being spoken, it'll never be fully spoken again. Uh, people say stitching in schools, but that's, that's not much good. You have to have it spoken in the home. People who've kept the language not longer, so those who were brought, brought it by, by their grandparents. But what you can do is you can re retrieve a bit of it. And if, if people have something of a language, it helps them with their ethnic pride and, and their sense of who they are. So non-Indigenous Australians might perceive Indigenous language as lost, but what's the reality and the work that you'll be doing as part of the SIA project in order to preserve those languages? Well, we're documenting everything we can, making it available, and working with people who want to uh, reclaim it. And also making sure that people understand the value in non-Indigenous Australians and uh, people who are sort of in between, uh, understand the value of it. So uh, we publish uh, books, and I've just uh, received a proof of a volume called The Integration of Language and Society. And uh, uh, it is about how um, special uh, features of a society, including, say, kinship system, and what Bob was talking about, the mother-in-law style, and various honorific registers are actually reflected in uh, languages. And so it's also just to spark people's interest for people not to say, ah, well, you know, why, why can't we all speak English? Well, if we all speak English, uh, it will be almost like sort of globalization. Why don't we all eat at, at McDonald's <laughs> along those lines? And so what we are trying to say, to do within Cyher, we are trying to document languages with that indigenous knowledge. And uh, also the communicative power, it, it really gives you a new feeling when, uh, like, for instance, I write to my mm, family, adopted family in New Guinea, and I would not say, hello, Paul, I would say, hello, my maternal uncle, and it creates a bond. And he as well, I mean, the fact that Bob is uh, Gaia to Adrian and Adrian is his dama, 
uh, it almost creates an extra glue. And uh, now uh, there is a new proposal, which is really exciting to, to give the center a durable name. And that would, again, you know, gives it, give it everything, sort of new lease of life, a new identity. And that's what language is about. It's about identity. So I'm very glad that uh, uh, we have come to uh, CQU to just push this part, which is language and communication, which is at the root of absolutely everything. And now we are also in the process of uh, starting a new project, which will be called Words That Matter, a comprehensive archive of languages uh, and cultures of North Queensland, whereby all the available materials uh, on the languages, even they are no longer spoken, all people know is a couple of words, they will be available so people can just, you know, press a button and they were on the computer or have a phone app. And so if you want to say hello in Dirbal, very good. It will tell you how to say hello. Now, there is culture change because in most indigenous societies, you don't say hello. You say something else. It's very interesting because I get these messages from Amazonia and there is no way of saying hello. So people ring me up on WhatsApp. What do they say? They say, are you awake? which is an interesting thing to say because for them it's the morning, for us it's at night. So yes, I'm still awake, sorry. Indigenous languages here, again, there is no way of saying it. So uh, Bob and Adrian have uh, sat around and the way they're saying it now, hello, so how do you say? Bangbur B. Bangbur is being good health and B means do it. So Bangbur B means being good health. And uh, it is maybe somebody could come in and say, look, it's a little bit artificial, but then look, languages adjust. They're just as we speak. So, and these languages adjust because there are people interested. There are still people who maybe they don't speak it sort of daily on a daily basis, but there is something there that keeps them alive. Which leads me to my next question, actually, in terms of Australian Indigenous words. Can you give an example of a word that reflects individual or community health, I guess, tying back into the, the centre? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because in uh, I just simply cannot think of a word, general word for health or well-being in any of the languages that I worked on. Well, there is this way of saying being well, right? So yeah. You can say being well. Also, you see, the whole concept of, of disease and, and why people get sick and die is different. They believe that people die because a, uh, a wise Aboriginal doctor operates on, on them. And so it's no good saying, uh, you know, go to the doctor and get some pills, which I say is, is get a, a more powerful doctor who can take the spirits away. Yeah. And you see, even in, uh, in English, uh, the, a word like disease actually is a euphemism. It's like it's to avoid really calling something uh, adverse by name. So this is, it's like you're not quite at ease. In actual fact, more than quite okay. So people do not really talk in general terms about, uh, you can talk about being healthy, which is, but not <laughs> talk about, well, uh, about health in general. The way people talk about being healthy, like for instance, in the language which is spoken at, uh, in um, very much of uh, the uh, well-beaten tracks in Papua New Guinea called Yalago. It's not even on, on Australian maps. I don't know why. It's about 300 people speak it. It's very, very vital how you say that somebody is all right. You'll say they are sort of fat. So I arrived in the village and the lady looked at me and said, ah, you, you must be, you are fat, which means your body is kind of growing. 
And then at the end of my stay there, I wasn't fat anymore, so they were worried about me. So there are certain signs that show you that uh, people are healthy, and this is what healthy, or they are kind of all right in terms of their emotional well-being and their um, social well-being, I guess, and their physical well-being, which are uh, completely all together. The um, language, culture, and social and emotional well-being research hub, in terms of working on similar projects to that in the past, both of you, what have been some of their outcomes for Indigenous communities that you hope that will potentially, you know, reflect with this project? There have been quite a few really fascinating projects. The project dealing with social connections and health and well-being programs conducted in Yarraba under the leadership of Professor Johnny McCalman is perhaps the most relevant for what uh, we are doing, what we have been doing. Also because of Bob's history of how many years, about 40 years of work in Yarraba with speakers of various languages. Yarraba used to be a bit of a melting pot, almost like Palm Island, like a place of exile for various people. And uh, the attitudes uh, probably were shaped, and the ways of expression shaped by different substrata, the uh, public health and especially mental health programs and, the, and investigations and uh, questionnaires uh, applied by Jani and her team will definitely uh, marry with the results that uh, we will be working on based on sort of Yidin, mostly I think Bob's work on Yidin, but I think what's happening with the Aboriginal English there now as well. So that's the main project. So what impacts are you hoping to achieve with the project? Well, impacts can uh, vary from uh, very, very local impacts when people just feel better because somebody talked to them and they were ab- they've been able to formulate their problems. And the biggest kind of impact is restore people's faith in the health system. And uh, uh, we hope to be able to achieve a common ground for, for bringing up the issues by talking, to, uh, talking uh, about them and maybe expanding our lexicon and expanding not just lexicon, but understanding of exactly what's happening. So once you have a term for it, once you know how to sit down with people and yarn about the potential issues, you will be able to uh, just, just help people on the ground. Once you help people on the ground in one area, you may be able to help people on a sort of different ground and uh, go well beyond just uh, one local engagement area. And there are, I mean, SAIHA has uh, uh, just a lot of fascinating colleagues. Among them uh, uh, is Vicky Saunders, who is herself a Gungari woman and uh, from Mitchell originally, and her work on indigenous poetics is uh, very much kind of resonating with what we are doing because it's, again, it's about expression. And it's the expression that uh, makes uh, people understand what's happening. And then once, once there is understanding, uh, you can uh, achieve something. Basically, you achieve agreement. It's also part of the reconciliation, uh, sitting around and talking about things other than sort of being at the opposite poles of uh, various issues and improving uh, social and emotional state. And thus, obviously, physical state as well, because attitude is what makes uh, people mm, feeling better, feeling worse. I mean, it's not that we, we will create some incredible uh, vaccines and stuff like that, but we may be able to help people 
just accept the vaccines that there are in case there are some anti-vax, which I don't think, I think North Queenslanders are too clever to be totally anti-vax. Absolutely. Um, I guess, lastly, before closing off, we talk about losing languages. What's what's the most important thing for you in terms of preserving languages, particularly in the North Australian region? Well, uh, recording all the the, the stories, how they knit together, into a whole web of culture and history and the, 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 the rules of conduct, you know, how you should behave. Uh, yes, and uh, uh, also uh, giving um, uh, people, whoever wants to sort of learn things back or just have, have access to it, opportunities to access whatever there is in whatever form they want. Nowadays, uh, to, to get young people interested, you give them uh, a phone app or you publish a book. Like many people in Northern Territory do that. We hope to do that as well. We have this beautiful book, language called Jingle by Rob Ben Salfini. And there are names for plants and animals. QR code, and you scan your beautiful mobile phone, and the person actually says how it's pronounced. It's a great, uh, you could even say plaything for kids, but for all the people as well, for everyone. And uh, of course, websites, but most importantly, books, because uh, my sort of belief is that phone apps go out of date and uh, uh, websites collapse. But books, unless you sort of in a Nazi way, you go and burn all of them down, they're there. <laughs> And uh, so we just uh, work across every single uh, way of uh, preserving things imaginable because uh, that's the idea of fully documenting a language and a culture. You don't know what younger people or some other generation will want tomorrow. So just everything, including, I mean, some people are are great purists. So I, uh, Bob had experience with some people recording a story and then, no, 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 the story is no good, erase it because it's too much English. Look, but that's the way you speak. And this may be the way uh, uh, of the future because you cannot resist influx of the dominant culture too much. And if you resist, it's quite possible you lose. So, well, okay, we will record another story, but let's keep that one as well and uh, uh, just carry on with the, way, uh, with the way things are going. So we go with the flow, but then we try and sort of document the flow as much as we can. That's Seeker University adjunct professors Alexandra Eichenwald and Bob Dixon. And wow, they bring a huge passion to the vital work of preserving and passing on First Nations languages, not just to understand our country's more than 65,000 year history, but to ensure its future. You can follow CQ University's Centre for Indigenous Health Equity Research on Twitter. It's at C-I-H-E-R underscore CQ Uni. Next week, another perspective on health and the researchers shining a light on why COVID-19 so unevenly affected different racial communities. We know most of the health conditions which people suffer today is not because, you know, they are biologically not strong or whatever it is. It's because of the social system we have. And some of those social problems could be things like employment, could be things like housing, discrimination, racism, and social disadvantages, really. Lack of social networks, people can actually support you to rise above your challenge in life. 
Look for that episode with Dr. William Moody next Monday and make sure you're following CQ University podcast wherever you listen to get our latest episode every week. Thanks for listening to Impact Research Podcast from CQ University, where research makes real impact.